The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're starting off, uh, we're going to walk through this entire book of Philippians, God willing, if the Lord tarries and I'm alive, we're going to make it through this whole thing. So we're going to jump off today into the first uh, five books of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through Five. Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. This is a great letter. I'm excited about preaching this to you. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he deeply cared about. He cared about this church very deeply and so there's some common, uh, really probably some common misnomers about this church. We're going to talk about it a little bit. There weren't a perfect church. <laughs> this church wasn't a perfect church that he was writing to. There were some issues in the church that he, that he deals with straightforwardly. This is what Paul does. He's always dealing with false teachers in a lot of ways, but he loved them. He loved this church. It's a very personal church, and so we'll deal with a lot of different things over the next uh, the next several weeks, the next couple few months in this letter, and it'll carry us really um, all the way until Greg's return. So I want to pray really quick, and then we will jump off into what uh, the Lord has in store for us this morning. Father in heaven, we praise you for all the ways in which you coordinate our lives, and so I'm thankful that you've brought us safely here back to this time, this day, this week, Father. And so the layers of difficulty that are often navigated by your people in order that they can sit this morning, um, we know it doesn't go, un- go unnoticed by your attentive eyes. So I'm thankful to you for that. I'm thankful that you're pleased. The Bible tells us that you're pleased by their faithfulness. So hold me upright as I attempt to unfold the riches of your glory in this sacred letter. I pray that you hold me upright. I pray a special prayer for the leaders of this country. In the moments that we've experienced this past week, I lift up the multitude of men and women that have come through this church, that are a part of this church, that serve in our armed forces, Father. I pray that you give them wisdom. I pray that you give them strength, Father. I pray that you hold them fast as they navigate complexities of the weeks and months ahead. We don't live in uncertainty, Father. We know that you hold all of them in the palm of your hand. I pray for Pastor Greg that he, as he navigates a similar worship service here shortly, Father, in another part of the world, I pray that you strengthen him. I pray that you encourage him, Father. I pray that you hold him fast and you give him an opportunity to advance the message of the gospel, which we hold so dear, which is dear to my own heart. And I pray this all in your son's name, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us at this very moment. I pray this in his name. Amen. The book of Philippians, this letter is generally understood to be written by the Apostle Paul. That's how we understand this letter. Paul was imprisoned in Rome. That's an important piece of information for us. I'm going to give you some context here. We read the Bible in context. Paul was imprisoned in Rome. I say this often, but Paul was a missionary before he was a theologian. He was a missionary before he was a theologian. He was a man concerned about the advancement of the gospel. And so he advanced the gospel all throughout the civilized world as it moved out of Jerusalem. He advanced the gospel all over the, all over the civilized world during the Greco-Roman era that he lived in. This meant that Paul traveled and he preached. He established churches and he established them in very difficult places. This is important for us. It meant that Paul often got himself in trouble. It meant that Paul preached the gospel and it often got himself in trouble in other places in the world. And so as you look at Paul's life, you realize that he didn't operate in Charleston, South Carolina. 
To be quite frank with you, American Christians, particularly in the Deep South, sometimes we have a, we have, we're challenged to understand what our brothers and sisters go through around the world to advance the gospel. Paul lived this out. He lived out challenges in the world. He was a strong man. He was a strong man, and he went through some incredible things to, to advance the gospel. And when he preached the gospel and he developed churches, it caused major problems in these areas. It caused major problems in the cities with the authorities that he with, and it often landed him in jail. And so Paul is writing this letter from a prison, which is a critical piece of information for us. When you read the Bible, this is just a footnote. I give you footnotes, but when you read the Bible, your aim is to find out why Paul was writing it, where he was writing it from, why he was writing it. You're to get in the mind of Paul, and when you figure out what Paul was trying to do, then you can draw your own understanding from the Bible. That's how we read the Bible. That's how we preach the Bible here. And so Paul is writing from a prison. He's writing to a church that he loved. He's writing to a church that he loved that supported him financially. They supported him in the advancement of the gospel. And he's writing to a church that he knows has issues. This isn't the Corinthian church. This isn't necessarily the church at Ephesus that Timothy was at that we looked at in the last book. We preached through Timothy here recently. So Paul knows that this culture, just like every culture, just like the world we live in now, he knows that it's infiltrated with people and they fight against him. They're fighting against the gospel. And so he's writing this letter from prison to a group of people he endeared, to a group of people he esteemed in order to confront some social priorities. And it's really just an overflow of his heart. This is a very personal letter from Paul. The city that he was writing to, the city that this church was was situated in, these people had a real sense or desire. If you study the city that it was in, they have a real sense or desire for advancement. They were caught up in titles and offices and all these sorts of things. This is the culture we swim in. This is the world we live in now. All of this was there. And so in many ways, it, as in anything we produce, this, is a, this letter is a mixture of Paul's own personal struggles while in prison and also his concern for the well-being of others. This is sort of how this stuff works. The best stuff that I produce, the best stuff that I write is, an, is, a, is a combination of what I'm personally going through and the situation I'm involved in. This is what Paul does in this letter. It's very personal. So when you preach, oftentimes God brings, when you do this, when you stand in this pulpit every week, oftentimes God will bring forth fruit for a church's edification based upon your own dealings. He doesn't separate the man up here from the world that you're living in as well. That's intentional. And this letter is very personalized from Paul. So we live in a world where people just air all their feelings out all over the internet and all over everywhere. Uh, But you need to realize this is a very personal letter from Paul. The people did this in the biblical times. He's writing a heartfelt letter to these people. And he's really, it's really just, it's, it's sort of in some ways, you see his own personal struggles in this. He's imprisoned, and so his life is full of uncertainty. You've been there? He's in prison, so his life is filled with uncertainty. His life was, is filled with pressing needs. Anybody got some pressing needs in here? He gives us this in the letter. His life is filled with pressing leaves, needs. His life is filled with discouragement. These realities of discouragement, need, uncertainty, all of this coupled with this unique love for, for this church in the context of this city full of vanity, it produces some themes or some insights for us. It will produce some themes or some insights for the Christian life that are going to be invaluable to you. They're going to be invaluable to you. They're invaluable to me. So during this sermon series, we're going to deal with joy, 
We're going to deal with humility. We're going to deal with unity in the church. This is a theme that falls in there. But most of all, this is so important for us. There are going to be drum beats that happen all through this letter. I'm going to keep this drum beat going all through this letter. Most importantly in here, we're going to deal with the gospel. <laughs> I love the gospel. This letter is saturated with the gospel. We're going to deal with the gospel. We're going to understand the gospel more in content. There's two senses in which the gospel appears in the Bible in general. In content, what is the gospel? Righteousness, peace with God, all of these things that we deal with, the content of the gospel. We're going to get that in this letter. We're going to deal with the gospel as the agency for evangelism. This is an important theme. I'm going to talk about this extensively this morning. The gospel is also the agency of evangelism. Paul deals with this significantly in this letter. So the content of evangelism, the agency, the evangelism as the agent, or gospel as the agency of evangelism, how does the gospel move? How does the gospel move? Do you realize the gospel is a moving doctrine? <laughs> the gospel moves. God will move his truth. This is what we will study in this letter. We'll understand the gospel more as the basis for your growth in godliness. What is godliness, Britt? I've told you this all over and over. How do you live as people to make God known? The gospel will teach us how to be more godly. All of this stuff is in here. So the gospel in content, the gospel in the agency of evangelism, and the gospel as we understand how to be more godly. The gospel has an impact upon your godliness, a direct correlation to it. So here's this key statement for us. Write this down, sear it into your memory, whatever you need to do. Here's the key statement for the entire series here. The content and the movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose on how to live individually and as a church. Drum beat. The, the content and movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose on how to live individually and as a church. This is a drum beat. I'm gonna, you're going to get tired of me saying this. So this letter is replete with references to the gospel. Proportionally, there's more references to the gospel in this letter than any letter in the New Testament that Paul, Paul wrote. You know that? This is a drumbeat that'll happen on this. So proportionally, it's there. Everything hangs upon the gospel. So you have to keep those two aspects up top the entire time we talk about this. The content and the movement of the gospel. They have got to hang over your head as we navigate through this book. Or you'll miss what Paul is doing here. It's a drumbeat. It's always in the background. So Paul is always circling back around to these two things. I've told you this before. He has a way of talking about things. Paul has a way of giving you, he'll just give you these truths and then he just descends off into the gospel. <laughs> he can't keep his hands out of it. He can't keep his hands out of the gospel. And so he does this. He can't help himself. So he, it's like he'll deal with joy and then he descends right into the gospel. He'll deal with humility and then he drops you right into the gospel. He does this over and over and over throughout his letters. It's really a beautiful move in my opinion. So he's always rolling off into the gospel and I love it. I love it. So in this text this morning, he's going to do the same for us. He's going to give you some truths in these opening words here. So open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. So hear the words of the living God by the hand of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from a Roman prison to a dear group of people he loved. Look at me. This is the living word of God that was handed down to us. It was handed down to us so that some 2,000 plus years later we can stand and hear from the living God. Hear from the living God this morning. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at 
who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from, our God, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's where we're going to sit. That's just, an, just a general greeting there. And then three, four, and five is what we're going to sit down in this morning. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Remembrance is an important word. Keep that there. Always in every prayer of mine, you all making my prayer with joy. There's an important word. And then verse five here, here's where he descends off in the gospel. He can't keep his hands out of it. Look at it. In verse five, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the title of the sermon this morning is Joy is More Than an Emotion. Joy is more than an emotion. Joy is more than an emotion. So when we think about emotions defined by popular culture, by popular writing, we often think about these shallow feelings. They're kind of whimsical. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Really, joy can come from anything you can dream up. Anything you can dream up and put your hands on, you just do you and find your true truth, and I'm going to do me and find my true truth, and from that we'll get joy. This is how we understand joy in the world you live in. It's everywhere around you. So often we think about joy as this shallow emotions, and, and there, it's often difficult to find. You can't hardly obtain it. It's loose in your hands, right? You, feel, you understand that people chase happiness. This is at the core of who you are as God created you. He created you for joy. And so the joy that's defined out there often is very loose. You can't get your hands around it. And so this is a book that the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that about joy. The Bible doesn't say that about joy. Emo- emotions are not evil. I want you to understand that. Emotions are not e- evil. Emotions are part of the experience as a Christian. I've been trying to tell you that. We experience sorrow as an emotion. We experience grief as an emotion. Anytime I'm around people that are dealing with grief, sometimes you don't know, sometimes it's best not to say anything, but a lot of times all I'll say is it's okay to grieve. The Bible lets you know that there's grounds to grieve. This is an emotion you deal with. We experience grief in this, but joy in the Bible, it's more than a shallow emotion. So joy is not less than an emotion. Joy is not less than an emotion, but it's more than an emotion because of what drives joy. There's a grounding for joy in this because of what joy is contingent upon. Joy in your life is the ability in my life. It has the ability to be more than a shallow, subjective, hard to get your hand around emotion where you spend all day long chasing this random stuff. Joy has the potential to be more than that for you. And Paul is going to give us this here. Here's the first part of this. How do I know that joy is more than an emotion? Because Paul tells us here that joy is a mindset. This is so important. Another drum beat. You're going to hear this from me over the weeks ahead. Joy is a mindset. Paul notes in this section, look at the word he uses there. He notes in this section, all my remembrance of you. His remembrance of them brings him joy. It's significant word because Paul pulls us into one of these very important themes in the book here. It's something I'm going to press into us over the weeks and months ahead. Joy is more than an emotion because it is tied directly to a mindset. Joy is more than an emotion because it is tied directly to a mindset. Let me explain this to you. Because true joy is tied directly to the mind, it's more than a shallow emotion. There's a backing to it. Paul uses these words. We're going to see these over the weeks here. He talks about remembering, being in the proper frame of mind. He talks about having the right attitude. He talks about considering. He's talking about regarding. He uses the word knowledge, all of these things. He says the word think a bunch in this letter. He uses the word think a bunch in this letter. 
Christians are called to think. The idea of thinking in the mind are, in, are a central truth in this book. So reach up here and note this because I'm going to come back to it over and over and I'm going to expound upon it and I'm going to explain it to you. But right now you need to understand that joy is more than an emotion because it's, it's tied to a mindset. It's tied directly to a mindset. Drumbeat. Drumbeat that you're going to hear from me on this. The mind, the mind, listen to this, the mind controls so much of the Christian life. It controls so much of the Christian life. I told this story before, probably in the summer of 2017, I think I preached a sermon, and I read an article about this lady from the University of California, Berkeley. The University of California, Berkeley, these people know what they're doing that go to the school. She studied the brain her entire life. She spent her entire career researching the brain. She passed away. I read about her in a newspaper article. She did some really fascinating things. She studied Albert Einstein's brain for a period of time, which is remarkable. It's remarkable to me. And this is what she said at the end of her career. This is a woman qualified to make this statement. So listen to this. She says this. At the end of her decades of study, she said in her words that the human brain was the most magnificent structure on this earth. I have no idea what this lady's faith background was. I don't know if she ever was in the faith, but I agree with that. I agree with that. And Paul knows this because he's, I think Paul agrees with this because he's consistently over and over bringing this theme up of the mind to think. This is how you return to joy. I've met people all over the map on joy. I've been in churches all over the map on joy. Churches that pursue joy. And to be honest with you, they pursue it and it kind of gets shallow. It kind of gets weird. They don't even feel things anymore. It almost becomes fake. They can't deal with the, the sober things of this world. The church is the only place that has an answer for death. We deal with death here often. I deal with death often. The church is the only place for that. So we don't pursue joy at the, at the, at the expense of all that stuff. But joy may not come naturally to you. You might have to work for this. You might have to wake up every day and work for joy. You might have to work for this. I'm serious. This is why prayer and meditation on scripture, Bible study, hearing the word preached in the corporate worship, this is why it's so important. Most of you will have no clue what I talked about by by 3 p.m. this afternoon. You won't remember hardly anything I said up here by 3 p.m. this afternoon. But I bet you one thing, that if you come in here every Sunday, your your frame of mind is reoriented. You'll come in here, and you if you consistently do this, you will experience and know joy more because you've heard from the living God. It's a mindset to you. If you stop and really think about what's happening in here on Sundays, a lot of it is tied to joys. There's so much of the Christian faith that's tied into the frame of mind. Why do you think we come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and we hear the preached word and we sing and we lift ourselves up to, to, to God because worship is about God and it's about bringing your frame of mind back to the right things. I've been where you've been. I've worked long weeks and sat in the pew. I've not always been the man standing up here. There's sometimes that I was so desperate to get in here on Sunday. I needed it so bad to get in here on Sunday and get reoriented and hear from the living God. I'm just a mouthpiece. (laughs) I'm just a mouthpiece up here, but I needed it so much. It was so life-giving to me. And there's a lot of things that happen in this. I tell people all the time, I tell staff, elders, everywhere we go, this is where the magic happens. Right here is where the magic happens. And it ain't got nothing to do with me standing up here. It's because we hear and we think and we hear and we think and we hear and we think from the living God. 
This is worship. This is what we're doing. I need it so much. Joy is more than an emotion because it is tied to your mindset. You can't love nor have joy in anything you do not know. Are you tracking with me? I'm so passionate about this. Drumbeat, what are you not passionate about, Britt? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> you're like, this guy's fired up about everything. Yes, I am. So the Bible is replete. The Bible is replete to call you, replete with these calls to set your mind on the right thing. And there's really dozens of ways we can apply this. If joy is more than an emotion, if it's a mindset, there are dozens of ways to apply this. These are two ways that are near to me. There's, these are two ways that are near to me. Joy is more, I'm going to give you two really quick. I'm going to give you a doctrinal one and I'm going to give you a practical one. Joy is more than a mindset because it ties your mind to eternity. There's a correlation between eternity and your mind and joy, Okay. This is, this, is, this is the way it works. And I tell you this all the time. You live with the end in mind. Very simply, your mind has to be, in many ways, fixed upon eternity or you'll miss the joy. Later on in this book, Paul's going to remind us that you're citizens of heaven. I'm going to talk to you about that. That's going to come up in the third chapter of this book, I believe. And I'm going to talk to you about what does it mean to be this, a citizen of heaven. But heaven, I've told you this before, I should preach a series on heaven. But heaven's not floating around in the clouds with a, like an angel playing a harp. That's not what heaven is. Maybe I'll get into that some. But heaven isn't floating around like that. It's God perfecting what is already broken. You realize he developed this world perfect and it was broken by sin. And the whole narrative of scripture is him bringing back what is broken. It's God perfecting all of this. God is making the earth and the Christian, he's making it new. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's part of this renewal. We're sojourners. We're aliens in a foreign land until Jesus returns and brings the new heavens and the new earth. Till he fully remakes all of this stuff. And we live in perfection like the Garden of Eden. This is what this means. And you, you see, for the Christian, we have an inheritance. The Christian has an inheritance. It's the new heavens and the new earth. We're waiting for the redemption of the entire created order. And there'll be no more oppression. There'll be no more brokenness. And then God will restore all of these things. We will inherit a new land. To keep your mind on your citizens, the citizenship of heaven is to remember that God is making all things right. He's making all things right. He, we have hope. I get this from a guy named Richard Middleton. He have hope for the eternal future of this world that we live in. Do you realize that? How do you experience joy in this world? You experience joy because you think about eternity. You think about the time when God will make it new. He will make it perfect. And, all, and you, along with your body, remember glorification, the body. God's concerned about the body. He's going to raise your body. He's not going to turn you into a, a ghost. He's going to raise your body. Remember glorification, you'll inherit it. And you've got to keep this frame of mind or you'll lose your joy. I believe this. You'll lose your footing. You won't stand firm. You've got to realize that there's something out there that we're waiting on still, and it gives you joy. It's the things unseen. Joy is about a mindset. This is the second part of this. This is practical. I believe this. I, I hope this will help, be helpful to you. Joy is necessary for effective, effective longevity and consistency as a Christian. It is absolutely necessary for effective longevity as a Christian. Joy is more than an emotion because it is directly tied to your ability for effective longevity and consistency. I know a lot of Christians 
that don't have effective longevity. They have longevity. They have consistency, but it's not effective. It's not effective. And I believe, I'm under belief, this is my wisdom, my practical experience. I believe that it's tied directly to a lack of joy. To have effective longevity, you got to have joy. I believe that. My daddy has been doing this a long time. He's been a lead pastor for a while. He says all the time, and I'm agreement, agree, I agree with him on this. He says that Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth. <laughs> And to be honest with you, it bothers him how ho-hum, oh man, you know, the Christians get. It bothers him. All of this is vanity, blah, blah, blah. And I believe that he's had an effective ministry over decades. He's had an effective life as a Christian because he has lived and fought with joy. Doesn't mean it hasn't been hard. Joy. You have to have joy to be effective in your long-term work here. Happiness and joy are deeply seated desires in the soul of mankind. Man, God made you for this. He made you for it or it wouldn't be all over the Bible. He wants you to be effective at what you do. He made you to experience joy and happiness. And if you can lay hold of it in the right ways, you can, you, if, you, if you can lay hold of it, you will be effective. And if you can't, I believe this, I've seen it over and over and over again, you're gonna fall flat. You're gonna fall flat. You're gonna be ineffective. So those are two practical things. Joy is more than an emotion because it's connected right to a mindset. The second thing is this, joy is more, of an, more than an emotion because it's relational. This is the crux of everything that Paul is saying here. Look at me with verse, look at verse five with me again. He says, I'm praying this prayer with joy. Why is he praying this prayer with joy? Very straightforwardly, he gives it to you here. He says, because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, I'm praying with joy. I have joy because I reflect, I remember, I think, I think upon your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I think Paul is telling us right out of the gate in this letter, I think he's telling us that joy is absolutely dependent upon things. Joy is dependent upon things. It's dependent upon your mindset. And it's also, this is so important. It's dependent upon relationships. Joy is relational. Joy is built on community. This is what Paul is telling us this. Paul is saying, I'm in prison my current circumstances are not okay, but I have joy because it's a mindset and because I've lived in relation with people. That's what he's saying in here. But there's something that gives us joy. If you don't get anything else I say over the next seven months about this stuff, get this. Joy is by the authority of God Almighty under Apostle Paul, this letter here. Joy is given to you as you link arms with fellow Christians for gospel movement. That's what Paul's telling you here. He's telling you the joy comes from linking arms with fellow Christians in order to advance the gospel. How do I know this, Britt? How do I know this? Because joy is relational. Joy is wrapped up in partnership with other Christians for gospel movement. There's indescribable joy in this. It's right there in the text in front of you. This is another drum beat, linking up with gospel movement. You're going to hear over and over from me. Paul beats the drums on this. How do I know this, Britt? How do I know that what Paul is doing in here? Because the word he uses in this sentence, I told you that gospel is content, right? Think about that. Gospel is content, and also gospel is the evangelism. It's the agent of evangelism. It's how the word of God goes. The truth of God goes. It's how salvation moves. The way that Paul uses this word gospel here is the second sense, the advancement of the gospel, the agency of evangelism. 
And so he's telling these people that the work of evangelism or the movement of the gospel, it, it it's directly affects your joy. The gospel is not static. God will move. He will move. It's why you have to live with urgency in the church because God will move the gospel. And I want to be on the boat. I want to be on board with it. If you're, there are other instruments that he'll utilize. I promise. I've seen this through history. He'll use other bodies. He'll use other people. The gospel will move. The gospel went out of Jerusalem. It went to Rome. It advanced all over the eastern and western hemispheres. The gospel, as used in the Bible, it can, can, it can refer to the content, but it also can refer to its movement. But here's the kicker. <laughs> There's always a kicker, right, Britt? Here's the kicker. When you link arms with other Christians for gospel movement, to advance the gospel in this community, in this city, and amongst the nations, I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. It does not matter what comes at you, you will find joy. I like old dead people. I'll talk to you about an old dead guy here in a minute. It doesn't matter what comes at you, you will have joy. It's because your life is tethered to a larger story. It's because your life is tethered to something larger than you. When you link arms with Christi other Christians for gospel movement, it, it happens. It happens all the time. I, share, I swapped emails with a friend of mine this week. I told him, I said, there's two aims in my life. God is my witness. I have two purposes on this life. Outside of my family and being a husband and those normal things, the big aims of my life, the purpose of my life is twofold. I want the local church to thrive. I want the local church to thrive. It's a passion of mine. It's what puts my feet on the ground every week. And I want to be involved in the movement of the gospel all over the world. It's what puts my feet on the ground every morning. It's what put Paul's feet on the ground every morning. If I lose that, I lose all my joy. My joy is sucked out of it. It's beyond me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm just an instrument in God's hands. This is the gospel movement. Then I, I, it, it's just the way it is. I want the gospel to advance. I want Jesus to advance. And that's a major part of my joy. And that's a major part of Paul's joy. It's right there in front of you. It's what gives Paul joy in, adver in adversity. He is seeing the gospel understood. He's seeing people come to faith. He's seeing the kingdom advance. I want this so badly for us. There's so much joy in Christ Jesus. There's joy in the content of Christ Jesus, but there also is so much joy in the movement of the gospel, the agency of evangelism in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is our joy. Over and over and over again, you're going to hear this. What, he, what he's done for you, I want him to do for other people. I want him to do it for other people. When I wrote this, I thought about this man. This is an incredible man in my opinion. I, I, often, I don't say often that I have heroes because I've read enough about people to realize that most of the giants in our faith, they were flawed. They were, they were way flawed in some ways. They just often don't talk about it, but... This man is probably as close to a hero as it gets me. His name was Bill Wallace. He was a missionary to China. You might have heard about him some. Bill Wallace was a surgeon in Tennessee. He was a surgeon in Knoxville, Tennessee. He accepted a call to the mission field, and he landed in China at, at this memorial hospital there. It was 1940s or about late 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, something like that. He served the people for China for about 16 years before he was murdered 
uh, by the hands of communists. He was murdered. He's, he served these people over there. He experienced a profound ministry through all these hard years over there. Um, he just, it was a lot of fear, destruction, unrest, all these sorts of things. He was, it was, his work was immense at this hospital over there. He was a surgeon. He diffused bombs. He built kitchens. He, it was so moving to me. He ate rice out of garbage cans. And his demeanor and his leadership ability in this hospital, he worked in a number of capacities. Many of these capacities, they were far unfit for a man of his education. I think he got his MD at Knoxville, Tennessee. And then he got his, I mean, I think he got his undergrad in Tennessee at UT. And then he went down to Memphis to get his MD. It's really unfit for him in all this stuff, to be honest with you. And it, 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 he was... He tells a story. There's so much involved in it. He was eventually arrested and he was charged with espionage and he was interrogated. He battled insanity at the end of his life. I mean, he battled insanity at the end of his life at the hands of these communist soldiers in prison cells. He was a prominent surgeon in China. He was really a hero of the Japanese war. He was a martyr of the Christian faith. And most of all, he was a humble servant of Jesus Christ. His story is remarkable. In 1935, he stands up in front of his congregation in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's the Broadway Baptist in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he articulates this call to the ministry. There was a gentleman in China that wrote back to the Foreign Mission Agency. Southern Baptist Convention has this, the greatest sending agency of foreign missionaries ever in the history of the Christian church. At that time, it was the Foreign Mission Board. It's now the International Mission Board. The man, this is a footnote, but if you're praying people, you should know this. The man that leads the International Mission Board is a man named Paul Chitwood. He experiences... He leads the greatest sending agency ever known in Christianity, and he needs to be prayed for. He is a fine man, but he needs to be prayed for. He is under spiritual warfare. It was changed to that name. This is mid-1930s. A gentleman wrote from China, and he just wrote the Foreign Mission Board. You can't get a lot in the 1935s back here. He wrote, and he just said, God, send us a surgeon. And in the middle of all of this, this God is pulling this man from his practice in Knoxville and sending him to China. He stands up in front of his church and he articulates this call to, the, to China. This is after as an appointment. You go through this process to be appointed as a missionary through this agency. He's articulating his call. He believed that God, God's plan was to call him there to make the gospel known. The need for the gospel, the need for the gospel in China, the need for the gospel in China was what drove him there. This is what he said in front of the church. I've read his letters. This stuff is remarkable. He says, God... God's call was definite to me. He said, I think he, I think he made it definite to me so that there would be no doubt in my mind as to God's plan. So that through the long years of preparation, there would be no doubt that I was doing what God's, doing God's will. This is the statement. He says, this has been a comfort and joy to me. You hear that? God's definite call upon this man's life to move the gospel forward was his comfort and his joy. He was a smart man. He knew he wasn't going to Charleston, South Carolina. It was his joy. His commitment to the gospel, it brought him joy. The definite call that would cost him everything on this earth, the definite call that would hold him in the midst of extreme adversity. Joy is directly tied to your level of commitment to linking arms with fellow Christians for gospel advancement. I don't care what you're going through in life. If you, in spite of those challenges, if you commit yourself to the movement of the gospel, you will experience joy, I promise you. I promise you. 
We have a fine group of people that are going to, God willing, they're going to leave this church in spring and they're going to head to Ethiopia. And the work there is immense. The sky's the limit. And if you can't go and you can't be a part of that, I'm going to call you to be here. I'm going to call you to be one of these Christians that commits, that commits to what's going on in this, to link arms with fellow Christians. It's right there in the text. It's the witness of everyone in the Bible. It's been the story and the legacy of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians throughout the history of the church. It was the story of Paul. It was the story of Paul. You want a life of joy? You want this stuff? <laughs> I want this stuff. You want a life of joy? Get your mind right and commit yourself to linking arms with fellow Christians for the advancement of the gospel. It changes everything. It will change you. Christ Jesus, he is our joy. God grant us joy as we set our minds upon the long-awaited inheritance and in the meantime, give us strength to link arms for the advancement of the gospel through this community, throughout this city, and amongst the nations. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father, I'm thankful for your kindness to us that you expose the truths of scriptures and you give us a path. You give us a path to the most precious things in the Christian faith. One of these is joy. I'm so thankful to you. I'm humbled and I'm thankful to you that you give us that path. You give it to us straightforward in scripture and you give us the witness of hundreds of Christians throughout Christianity that have lived this out. So give us hearts to pursue a mind Pursue a mind through understanding you, through knowing you, through your word, through worship, through these things. Give us, give, us, give us the ability to pursue a mindset and to pursue gospel advancement, Father. Give us the strength to do this in the days ahead. I pray this in Christ's name.